change. We're not going to go as far in the passage as uh, initially intended to. So Roman numeral 2 in your notes, you can just forget about for now, and we'll get to it next week. And I don't know how far we'll go next week, but uh, figure that out later. Uh, today, though, we're going to be back in Luke, Luke chapter 22, so make your way that way. And in case you have forgotten at this point, uh, Jesus has gathered his apostles, and they've celebrated the Lord's Supper together, um, and, and he's told them at that point, one of you is going to betray me, uh, and as expected, they began to discuss, you know, oh, who's it going to be? Is it you? Is it you? It's not me. And, and, and that just, you know, snowballed into this argument about which one of them is the greatest. It's not me because I'm the greatest, right? Uh, and, and that's when Jesus tells them, if you want to be great in my kingdom, then in humility serve others, is, is what he explains. And then in our passage today, Peter, we're going to see, is, is singled out um, with this embarrassing heartbreaking revelation about him, and all the other apostles are going to hear it, and, uh, and so we're going to be exploring that, and there is a lot of wonderful stuff in that. I'm excited to be preaching this passage today. So let's, let's read the passage, Luke 22, beginning in verse uh, 31, and then we will just dig into it. <clears throat> Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. And Peter said to him, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day until you deny three times that you know me. The grass withers, the flower fades. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we return to the Gospel of Luke today, we we ask you through the Holy Spirit to please enliven our hearts to hear and understand and believe and to develop our understanding of who we are and who you are to be formed not by worldly assumptions but by your Word. May we be strengthened and encouraged by your Word this morning. And we ask this in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. So do you remember what name Jesus gave to Simon? He just renamed him at one point. Well, the what? Well, Peter, yeah. Peter, yes. And, and the reason it's Peter is, is, is that it sounds a lot like the word rock, right? You've got Petros and Petra, very similar sounding things. And also, uh, because Peter's faith in Jesus is, Jesus is to become absolutely rock solid, and yet here do you see what Jesus calls him, right? This is way after that time, and Jesus calls him by his birth name. He calls him Simon. I mean, seemingly this is to remind Simon, you know, your, your faith is not yet rock solid, not in the way that I intend it to be, that I'm going to make it. Uh, in fact, the, the, the fact that Jesus here then says his name twice, Simon, Simon, tells us that what, it, what comes next is of absolute great importance. It also tells us that it comes with this degree of, of sorrow and, and intimacy and softness. It's, it's the way we always see it in Scripture when God repeats somebody's name, right? Uh, you remember back, Abraham, Abraham, when God asked him to sacrifice his son Isaac. Moses, Moses, when God spoke to him from a burning bush. Earlier in Luke, we saw Martha, Martha, when, when Jesus rebukes her for focusing on the wrong thing and, instead of the more important things. Later, Saul, Saul, when our Lord encounters the future apostle 
as he travels to Damascus to persecute Christians. And, and there's many other examples, but every time we see it, it's the same idea. Pay attention. There's something important. There's this intimacy, this sense of sorrow in, in some regard here. Uh, and, and so every man in that upper room at this time, right, they're still there where they took part in the Lord's Supper together, and everyone there knows, okay, pay attention, there's something coming, but Jesus is saying something important right here. And of all the things you want to hear Jesus say at this moment when your name comes, you know, Simon, Simon, uh, you certainly didn't want to hear this. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat, Now, Satan doesn't have the right to make a demand like this, but he makes it anyway. Now, you you need to know this. Your Bibles, your English translations, they are good. They are very good. You can trust them. Uh, But because our culture in general does not embrace a proper southern English, uh, there is one significant limitation. Those of you who know this know this because I tell you this all the time. Uh, There's no way to indicate the second person plural. It's just not there. Because y'all won't use the word y'all, you, you end up in this trouble, right? So, so the word you in that phrase, you look at it in your passage right there, where it says Satan demanded to have you, and, and we just think that's Peter, but it's not. It's plural right here. And, and so more accurately, what Jesus is saying is, <clears throat> Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have y'all, or all y'all if you want to get really proper. Stucky's the one who laughs. All right, anyway, uh, Satan wants more than Judas, okay? Satan wants more than Peter. Satan wants all of Jesus' Jesus's disciples then and now. Satan's desire then is to sift them like wheat. Now, wheat was sifted by violently taking something like a pitchfork, tossing it into the air, and, and the idea is that the heavier grain falls down into this, this pile while the, the worthless... This word is my kryptonite. Chaff, thank you. (laughs) Uh, Well, the worthless chaff just blows away in the wind. And so what it does is it separates. You've got the wheat grain and all the nasty stuff that you don't want to eat just blows away. Now, what what this imagery means here is, is that Satan desires to see the apostles fall into sin. He desires to see them fail. He desires to see them divided from God, divided from each other. He desires to see them ultimately stop following Jesus. That's what Satan wants. Christian, Satan also wants to crush you, to separate you. Satan hates all of Jesus' disciples, and, and that's why Peter later in life writes, writes to the Christians in 1 Peter 5.8 saying this. He says, be sober-minded, be watchful, Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. That's what he desires for God's people. And and keep in mind, at this moment, as they are meeting in this room, right, Satan was close by the apostles. Satan is intending to do them harm, but they didn't see anything but an empty room here. Now, if we believe this book, and as Christians we do believe this book, then, then let us believe rightly that there is a devil who means to ruin your faith. That's just a reality. And I know that might seem a little weird, right? It's not something that we always talk about, um, you know, but it's a reality. Just like right now, there's a a 5G network, apparently, rolling through the the air in front of you that none of you can identify, right? You can't see it. There's, There's no ability. I can't grab it. My phone won't even read it. Um, but it's, it's there. It's a reality. Uh, there is also in the world, 
demons which we cannot see. We have no technology to even be able to detect them, and yet they exist. Demons who cannot remove the indelible faith of a Christian, right, but who do wish to bring you to doubt your salvation, who wish to tempt you into sin, who, who do wish to, to lead you away from Christ in whatever way possible and, 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 and away from God's word and away from God's church and, and who wishes to devour any sinner who is not already united to Jesus by faith, right? And, and we have this balance because, sure, our, our hearts are deceitful. Our hearts are capable of sitting without any prompting from a demon at all. But it may also be that there is a demonic influence in every selfish decision we make. Temptation of some sort, not possession. Every graceless conflict that we dig our heels into and refuse to, uh, to show any grace or, or, or in the urge to lie or, or to cheat or to explore that pornographic website, it, it is absolutely po- possible that that's Satan's influence. Satan's influence may be seeking to make you comfortable with bitterness and and resentment against fellow Christians. Uh, Philip Ryken said here, uh, Satan and his demons are always lurking in the shadows, desperately hoping that one day we will walk away from Christ completely. Now this doesn't mean that we live in fear. Not at all. But, But it does mean that we are to be vigilant, to be aware, to, 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 to pay attention to these sort of things, right? Uh, that, that as Ephesians 4.27 instructs us, that we give no opportunity to the devil. Because if we resist him, he, he will flee. We, we've seen that a few weeks ago, right? We, 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 we therefore need to resist spiritual pessimism. We need to embrace the, the mercy of God in repentance. In, in verse 32, Jesus is still speaking, and he, and he uses that change of direction word that we see in the scriptures and I hopefully you love it at this point that word but right because something is going one way and but because of God it's going another way Satan wants to sift sift y'all like wheat but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail and when you have turned again strengthen your brothers now there's a lot in that little phrase of our Lord's right there and we're going to come back to it in a second but first I I want you to see the way Jesus responds to, to or sorry Peter responds to Jesus saying this. Verse 33, look at it. Peter says, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. It's a bold statement, right? Now, this is an absolutely bold statement. It's a statement that is partially driven by embarrassment because Jesus is telling Peter, you're going to turn away from me for a time. And and Jesus is saying, this is in front of all these other people that know Peter, right? The, the same Peter he, people, he was probably just saying, you know what, I'm the greatest. There's no way, I, you know, I, that's part of his argument. And here Jesus is, is calling him out like this. Can you imagine how, how embarrassed you'd be today if everyone really believed me and, and I said your name and, and that you were going to deny Jesus this week, right? Can, can you imagine that? I'm like, Sean, you are going to deny Jesus this week. And everyone's like, wow, Sean, you must be the one. Uh, you know, there's that embarrassment that you would have <clears throat> in this moment. Just, just like Peter, you, you might want to defend your honor in that moment, right? You, I, I would never, never would I do that. And, and so that's why Peter responds, right? He's, he's saying, if, if they take you to prison, Jesus... I'm going to go with you. If they come and kill you, I will die with you. That's how committed I am. That's how strong I, I, am. I am. There's no way I would do that. And I really believe Peter means these words in that moment. Right? There's this genuine, I really wouldn't do those things. He, 
he really doesn't believe he's capable of denying he, he knows Christ. But Peter, like many of us at times, also doesn't know his own heart. He doesn't know his own weakness in this moment. And, and so Peter's pride has, has left him deaf to the words of Jesus here, resulting in this autonomous boast of his, right? You say what you say, Jesus, but I know better. P- Peter thinks he knows better than Jesus. Now, before we judge Peter too much, I, I think we should all admit that at times we think we know better than Jesus too. Every time you've ever found yourself reading in God's word, learning from God's word, and thinking, I know that God's word says this, but I, I just think maybe this, right? Whatever the topic might be, you want to go a different direction. I mean, that's the moment when, when we want to make an exception, like this is, this is a unique situation, and that's when we are we're just pridefully declaring, you know what, God, I know better than you. You don't know this situation. You don't know what's going on here. And in this situation, I know better than you. Now, of course, confidence can be a good thing. However, in Peter's case, confidence here is not a good thing because his confidence is in himself, his own strength, his own ability, instead of where it ought to be, which a confidence in in Christ, a confidence in the cross. Now, because of his pride, Peter doesn't ask Jesus for help. That's one of the terrible side effects here. He didn't ask him for strength. He didn't ask him for protection. He's not going to Jesus. He's just declaring, I'm strong. There's no way. Look at me, right? And in Peter's declaration, our our Lord says, or to it, he says, well, look at verse 34. He says, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day until you deny me three times, or deny me three times that you know me. Peter's boast This boast is not going to age well, right? Just a matter of hours later, Peter is going to deny these Jesus, not just one, or Jesus, not just once, but three times. He's going to publicly claim, I don't know that man. I have no idea who he is. I don't know him. Now, in the case of Peter here, his denial is not that of having no faith, but, but in the sense that he becomes something less than boldly, publicly committed to Christ. We might put it this way, Peter doubts in this moment. This denial is absolutely sin, but it is not the sin of unbelief here. And and spoil alert, by the end of the night, Peter's eyes are going to just be filled with tears when he sorrowfully and repentantly remembers Jesus' words here, when he realizes, look what I've done. I've done exactly what he said I was going to do, and we're going to look at that in a couple weeks. But this is a great warning to you and to I as well of a couple of things. First, we deny Jesus when we in public kind of hide the fact that we're Christians, right? If someone asks you point blank, you're not going to do it probably, but you kind of want to go under the radar in some way, right? Now, um, kind of like, uh, you know, you're, you're not required to pray before a meal. There's nothing in Scripture that says you must do this. It's absolute commandment of any sort. It's a thing we do as Christians because we're, we're thankful. Now, if your reason for not praying before a, mayor, a meal is, is simply because there's this fear, okay, people are going to see I'm a Christian and that's kind of embarrassing, it, it, you know, worried about what others might think of though, if, if that's your reason for doing that, that's a small way in which we are denying Christ publicly. Or if you, you, you go to, you know, you take your Bible and you, you hide it in public places or you're a Christian, obviously Christian book, right, with some like I'm obviously a Christian title uh, to it. And you go to work or school and you kind of hide it. I don't want to see this. You know, just trying to hide that kind of thing. Those are ways that we, we publicly deny the Lord in, well, yeah, in public. Uh, and, and there's a number of other ways. But, but we do that. 
Um, this is also a great warning for us to not make the same mistake of Peter, by, by which I mean that we not, we not foolishly believe that, that I am beyond the reach of any specific sin. I just, I couldn't possibly do that. You don't understand how strong I am. My faith is so rock. I couldn't do that. Or, or that we believe that we, we can in our own strength resist temptations. In other words, the be confident, yes, but be confident in the cross of Christ. Be, be confident in the Holy Spirit within you to be able to resist these temptations, right? Be confident in the, in the faith that God has filled you with and granted, given to you, not your own strength. Now, let us be as Paul who, who says in 2 Corinthians 12.10, when I am weak, then I am strong. And the reason he says that is, is because in our weakness, we go to the Father. We, we trust in Christ. And, and in the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit, that's where we find real strength, right? So then, let's move back up to verse 32. This is what we want to unpack, unpack a little bit more. Um, and, and in this verse, that word you, it's, it's singular this time, right? The first time, Satan wants to sift all y'all. Uh, and this time, it's, it's you. And he's speaking to Peter specifically. Uh, it's who he's speaking to when he says, But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. Now, Philip Ryken puts this so beautifully in perspective. Uh, I'm just going to read the way he writes it. He says, listen, uh, listen to us. He says, the word but puts everything that Jesus would do over against everything that Satan would try. Satan was against Peter, but Jesus was for him. Satan wanted to destroy Peter, but Jesus promised to save him. Satan petitioned to have Peter for himself, but Jesus prayed that Peter would hold on to him forever. Peter was saved because he was over on the Savior side of the sentence. He did not ultimately fall away, but returned to Jesus. Now listen, it is, it is no small thing that, that Jesus prayed for Peter. Jesus intercedes. He, he goes to the Heavenly Father on behalf of Peter, <clears throat> advocating for his faith to not fail. Christian, it, it, in Jesus, you too have an all-powerful friend and Savior sitting at the right hand of God the, the Father Almighty who intercedes for you. We, we learn this a number of places, specifically or explicitly in Romans 8, 34, where we read, Christ Jesus is the one who died, more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. That's a glorious, glorious thing. And, and, and you know Peter gets transformed, right? Um, most of you know that. He, he becomes the rock that Jesus declared he was going to become. He becomes boldly unashamed of Jesus and unafraid of death, and, and it's such a beautiful thing to see. He, he will, in fact, eventually go to prison for the name of Christ. Uh, he'll be put to death for the name of Christ. But I want you to see something significant here, right? That's the Peter we see down the road. That's the Peter we see after this transformation. But here, Jesus loves Peter here, right? Not just then, not after that. He, he knows him while knowing that he's going to deny him this evening, while he's going to be embarrassed and claim, I don't know who that guy is, you know, publicly in this moment, Jesus loves him. Long before he becomes Peter 2.0. In fact, it's the love of Jesus, the grace of God, uh, Jesus, the mercy and the forgiveness and the restoration of Jesus that leads Peter to be Peter in the way that we remember him later, right? The one who, who fearlessly stands up to the council that forbid them from even talking about Jesus that, that we saw in Acts 4. You see, Jesus doesn't just love you when you're good. 
He loves you because you're his, and if you're trusting in Christ through faith, you are his. So every parent knows that, that children, you see it obvious in little children, it's true in big children and adults too, right? Uh, they like to do things on their own. Let me do this, I want to try this, I can totally do it, and then they, they fail over and over again, especially at that young age. And, uh, and, and, and if you've seen this, right, you know they become discouraged and they quit saying, I just can't do this, it just doesn't work, it's broke. Some reason, they just fail at it and they just get disappointed, right? Adults, we do the same thing, we, we're a lot more chill about it, uh, we hide it better, but we tend to just want to quit when we mess up. Uh, this is particularly an issue when we seek to walk faithfully in, in obedience to God's Word. From, from the conversations I, I have had recently and over a long period of time, I, I am willing to bet that you struggle with a particular sin or sins that, that at times you just feel like, okay, I, I'm never going to get this right. I want to quit. I'm done. You, that's, you just feel like all I do is fail. Uh, for many of you, you're, you're failing in this area of, 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 you know, you are failing in this area of lust. I know that's a common one. Uh, for many others, it's an area of, of pride or gossip or dishonesty. Those are some of the ones that come up the most. But the list certainly goes on. Uh, there's sorts, something though, right? And, and, and so you promise yourself, never again will I commit this sin. Never again. And, and then you're disgusted or disappointed when once again, you disobey and you find yourself committing that sin. And, and then you just want to quit because you think, you know what? The way that I feel about myself right now, that's probably the way God feels about me too. There's no way he can still love me in this moment. Which is, which is why one thing I love about this passage is that we, we see Jesus tell Peter, you're going to mess up massively. You're going to mess up in a way that is embarrassing, that you can't even imagine right now. You're going to mess up. The other apostles are going to know you're going to mess up, but then you're going to turn back to me, and when that happens, you're not going to be a second-rate citizen. You're not. And in fact, when you turn back, when, when, when you have repented, I want you to encourage the others. That's the role I have for you. And, and here's some, some application of this now. We, we often disciple people, teaching them how to walk with God, how to obey his word, and we should. Absolutely we should. We are called by God to do that, but we don't always do a real good job of discipling people to walk with God through sin, through failure, towards repentance and, and restoration, right? Yes, we, we do walk with Christ in obedience and his word. That's our desire. That's what we're seeking at. But, but when you fail, when you mess up, and, and you absolutely will, I need you to know that, that your failure, your, your sin, it, it does not negate the love of Christ for you. It does not negate the love of Christ for you. Satan would like you to believe it does. Satan would love that lie to just drive a permanent wedge between you and God, between you and God's word, between you and, 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 and your covenant community, Satan would love for it to just render you so discouraged that you feel like, you know what, I can't possibly share the gospel with someone else because I've just committed this sin and, and I'm a horrible Christian and, and just give up. That, that's exactly what he would desire. Do not believe the lie that comes from the father of lies and says that. 
As the, the Puritan John Flavel wrote, just as God did not at first choose you because you were high, he, he will not now forsake you because you are low. Never sinning is, is not the sign of faith. But repentance when you fail is a sign of faith. Trusting in, in Jesus to forgive your actual sin, that's a sign of faith. Dane Ortlund in his recent book, Gentle and Lowly, speaks to this saying, he says, when you sin, do a thorough job of repenting. Re-hate sin all over again. Consecrate yourself afresh to the Holy Spirit and his pure ways, but reject the devil's whisper that God's tender heart for you has grown a little colder, a little stiffer. God is not flustered by your sinfulness. He knows that about you. That's why he goes to the cross. Not because you're righteous and, oh, this is a good one. I'll probably die for him because he's so good or she's so good. I, I also want you to see that, that Jesus, what Jesus prays for. You see, uh, Jesus, this is, I find it pretty significant. Je- Jesus didn't pray that what so many of us want to pray for ourselves or, or for our, our children or, or those we care for. He, did, he didn't pray for a life of ease or wealth or success. Jesus doesn't pray for Satan simply just to leave him alone, right? To never challenge him in this way. He, he doesn't pray even, you know, Peter, that you're, you would never, ever sin again. Jesus wants Peter to know his weakness. He wants Peter to know what it's like to be broken. He wants Peter's pride to be broken so, so that he can experience the grace of God more fully. And this is all part of God's Romans 8.28 decreed will for Peter and also for strengthening the faith of the other apostles, right? He says just as much in the passage we're looking at. So Christian, rest assured your faith can be weak, but, but it cannot be snuffed out, okay? It, it cannot. We're, we're not concerned about that in the sense of, you know, it, it's not going to be snuffed out. It cannot be. But, but let me ask you, do you pray for your faith? Do you pray for the, the faith of your spouse, for your children, for your friends, for those within this covenant community? Can you look around here and think, you know what, I, I pray for that person's faith. And, and I ask that, not, not to shame you, but to say this, if not, let's begin doing so, right? This is primary right here. This is foundational. Pray for each other's faith, that it would be strong, that it would be mighty, Right? We're facing all kinds of things in our lives, and our faith needs to be strong, and so pray for that. So in verse 32, Jesus also tells Peter this. He says, and, and when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. J- Jesus affirms, Peter, you're, you're going to repent. <clears throat> right? He's not saying, Peter, you should repent. This is, this is Christ you know, speaking. He, he knows you will repent. He's saying you will repent, and, and Jesus can say this because the Holy Spirit-empowered ability to repent is a gift of God to Peter. It, it is a gift to you, Christian, as well. And also, as, as embarrassing as, as Peter's failure is, right? This is especially like when pride is a sin that has a really strong hold on you, failure, public failure, this is a, a huge one for, for him. It, it just embarrassment to break him, right? And, and God in, intends this not just for the good of Peter, but for the good of, uh, of the people of God, the, the rest of the apostles here. J.C. Ryle once wrote, <clears throat> it is one of God's special attributes that he can bring good out of evil. He can make the weakness and infirmities of some members of his church work together for the benefit of the whole body of his people. And so furthermore, sometimes God encourages us and strengthens our faith through a fellow Christian, or you might be the one strengthening someone else. 
uh, like he does, right, through the, uh, the other apostles, through Peter here, which, which is another reason, really, right, why we, we need to come back together, why we need to be interacting with each other more, why, why we need this fellowship, right? Because whether we want it or not, it's absolutely irrelevant, right? I know everyone's at different places. Some of you are thinking, I need interaction with people. I'm longing for that. Some of you like it, kind of like being alone, right? It's kind of peaceful. It doesn't matter which way you think in that. It's ir- irrelevant because we absolutely need godly community in our lives. We need it. And finally, despite Peter's delusions of autonomous strength, it is Jesus, of course, who ends up right. No surprise there. Peter does turn away. Peter does deny Jesus before others. But our Lord's prayer for him is, is answered in the end because while Peter fails massively, Peter's faith does not fail, not at all. His, his faith grows through this difficult night and, and leads him back to Jesus. You forget, this is the moment of this massive transformation or this, this, this whole process here, rather, is the moment or is the, the process of this transformation. What, what Peter surely thought of as the lowest points in his life, Jesus uses as the greatest turning point in Peter's faith. Jesus died for Peter, for his sin of denial, and for every other sin of Peter. If your faith is in Jesus, then, then another sinner that Jesus died for is, is you. He died for your dishonesty. He died for your idolatry, adultery, theft, gossip, for your prideful self-righteousness, your your bitter resentments of others, your ungrateful heart, and for every other sin that justly condemns you. Jesus died for that. And that's why we speak of the gospel so often here, because you are either just crushed under the weight of your own sin, or, or your sin has been carried to the cross with Christ and paid for by His sacrificial death, creating for you peace with God, not only today, but forever. That's why we look to Christ. That's why we can rest in Christ, right? At no point in your life does it switch over to where you are just, I'm all, now I'm good. Now I go. I don't need you, Jesus, anymore. We always need Christ. Let us pray. Lord God, we are more like Peter than we care to admit. Believing we are bold only to deny you in small ways as we go about our days in homes and offices and classrooms and every other sphere of life. Lord, please teach us to be unashamed of you. Remind us that you are alive and interceding for us even now. Teach us to not hide our past failures, but having truly repented of them, to use them for your glory as we, we seek to strengthen our brothers and our sisters in Christ. Lord, make the gospel real to us this morning once again. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.